My name is Tom Chick. You are listening to the Quarter to Three Games podcast, where we talk to the people who make the forum what it is about the games that matter to them. Today we have with us Jeff Pinard or Jay Pinard. And, and Jeff, am I even saying your last name right? It's a word I've never had to say out loud. Yeah, you're one of the few people that actually nailed it the first time. What, do people say uh, Pinard or what, what do you get? <laughs> yes, yes, <laughs> Jeff. Pinard is what I usually get. Uh, I'm not did, sure it really looks like you'd sound it out like that, but yeah, that's what people like. Now, did you by any chance know what that song was? Because I want to explain why I played it. No, I didn't. And in fact, I thought you might start with Weird Al Yankovic. <laughs> now, are you saying that because you were admitting that you're weird? Is that what? Yes, I am. <laughs> that's a, that's a little bit of what I was going for. That's a Pixies song, and it's called "Where Is oh, My right. Mind." And it reminds me of times that I think you're a little bit famous for, where you post on quarter to three under <laughs> some sort of chemical influence, and your mind seems to be floating in various places. And yes, uh, I, I think it's, if I may say, it's a it's a large part of your charm on quarter to three. Uh, thanks. And I should clarify, it's uh, it's Ambien and uh, pancreatic pain medicine as opposed to anything really weird and recreational. Now, I don't I don't want to necessarily get this is this might be a little bit too much uh, personal information from me, but I have at times, uh, and I hope I'm never up for any sort of Supreme Court confirmation. I have at times enjoyed Ambien recreationally, so I'm well aware <laughs> of what your state of mind was. Uh, and, and what that can do. So, <laughs> yeah, it it does. I I really have to focus and stay off the computer after I've taken it. <laughs> well, now have you seen recently? There's a there's a thread and everything else about. Uh, I think it even might be called something like, "Hey, I'm drunk," or I, I forget what it's called. <laughs> yeah. If you ever duck in there, by the way, they make you look absolutely lucid and rational and clear-headed. <laughs> I mean, there's a few times where people have posted drunk that. I just kind of have to slap my forehead and think, oh, God, <laughs> I guess it's, it, it could have been worse. It could have been the head car keys. But but having, you know, your your username and password to get on quarter to three when you're drunk is, is just. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Now, and some of those times I have, a, you know, you wake up and you're just like, oh, God, I know I posted something stupid or I emailed someone and uh, <laughs> let's see what it was. Now, if I could get uh, a little bit of gravity for a moment. Uh, I, I, can you tell us a bit about you are dealing with uh, some very serious health situations, and can you tell me a little bit about those and what you're what you're going through right now? Yep. Uh, if you hear me clearing my throat a lot, I'm trying to <clears throat> keep it to a minimum. But I have cystic fibrosis, and uh, it's a genetic disorder, recessive. So both your parents can be carriers, and there's a one in four chance the children will be born with the disease, and it affects primarily the lungs and the pancreas, so it kind of uh, clogs up your some of your passageways with thick mucus, makes it harder to breathe um, in the pancreas. Uh, digestive enzymes don't get out, <clears throat> so usually a lot of CFers, because of those two factors, um, have uh, really bad breathing problems and are also very thin. Um, for for me personally. <clears throat> uh, the pancreatic enzymes could get activated inside the pancreas. So um, on a daily basis, I kind of deal with a lot of pain to to handle the fact that the pancreas is constantly digesting itself. And so, 
Go ahead. Well, and when uh, is this something you've dealt with all your life, or does it kick in as you get older? Yeah, um, it it manifests itself in different ways. Um, Some children uh, have very, very early onset and have a lot of problems, and and they may only live a few years. Um, But as treatments get better, there are people that um, can live relatively normal life, and then it's kind of a progressive disease. Um, you, you have progressive damage, so as you get older, it kind of uh, gets worse and compounds itself. But um, at 40 years old and after some of the things I've been through, I'm, I'm very, very fortunate to still be here and and be able to be gaming and, and uh, just be able to be a part of this whole um, uh, the quarter to three and family. I've had quite a few close calls, so uh, I count myself very fortunate to be where I am. Now tell me a bit about what an average day is like for you. Are you are you bedridden? Can you get up and around very much? It depends on the day. Um, it, as you mentioned before, I, I um, kind of try to work beyond my means a lot of times with uh, the frog bog that we've got, our frog <laughs> bog and uh, pond that we've got going. And so uh, some days I'll kind of get myself all energized, um, try and do as much work as I can, and, and then I might have a day or a couple days where I am bedridden because <clears throat> the repercussions of uh, trying to to work real hard on something when you've got low oxygen and, and your body's kind of hurting itself, it, it, can, be, it can be tough sometimes. But an average day... I, kind of slough out of bed when I can. Um, I do breathing treatments in the morning. Um, CFRs when we sleep, usually everything kind of collects. So it's kind of hard to get the body and the lungs going in the morning. So that involves doing two different kinds of breathing treatments. And then I've got something called a therapy vest. Uh, If you can imagine a World War II flak jacket, putting one of those on and this thing uh, pumps compressed air into the jacket very, very quickly. So it creates a concussive effect around the lungs. And you can vary the frequency and the intensity, and it helps get some of that mucus out of your lungs and so you can kind of breathe a little bit, bit better throughout the day. That actually sounds, Jeff, almost like like waking up to get punched. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, it is kind of painful. I can't use it all the time because... It fits over your whole chest, and uh, of course your pancreas kind of runs like an S from from the back left corner of your body underneath the rib, rib cage kind of to the center. And so when I'm having real bad pancreatic days, I can't really use it at all. Yes, uh, that, that compression just kind of makes things a whole lot worse. Now, I, uh, I know, again, before we get into lighthearted stuff, uh, I know you've had a a tough couple of months recently. Uh, can you tell us what you and your wife... By the way, your wife's name is... I want to say Jen. That's not right, is yep, it? Yep, that's oh. right, Jennifer. Yep, she goes oh. by Jen. Okay. Uh, by the and way, is she there? So we're recording fairly late at night for you. Is your wife around? She's actually at work right now. She works okay. Sunday through Thursday, third shift. And uh, as you said, we've had a tough couple of months. She's uh, going to be losing her job March 1st. And so we've kind of been scrambling to find something alternative. She's been in her current position for 11 years, and we never thought that she'd have to go and re-enter the workforce at 35. 
and being vested. But in this economy, <laughs> things right. like that happen. And uh, what does and Jen our, do? What kind of work is she in? Uh, she works for the city of Grand Rapids in the parking department, and so. Uh, she does dispatching, takes care of emergencies, stuff like that, and she also handles all, all the people coming in and out. So it was kind of a money-making um, department for the city. So it's not one that you would expect them to normally cut when trying to, you know, um, balance their budget. So it was kind of a shock, and uh, I had just spent three weeks in the hospital pancreatitis and pneumonia and uh so kind of everything caving in at once it can be pretty tough sometimes but we're plowing through now <laughs> i am again i'm imagining jen as kind of the sexy voice chick who uh talks on the dispatch radio did i get that right yes yes <laughs> she is she is absolutely wonderful with people in fact uh she has to deal with all kinds of individuals, especially in the middle of the night shift in a downtown city area where you have uh, stray people, very drunk people, and uh, and uh, she takes care of them. And how long have you guys been married? Uh, six years, I believe. <laughs> oh, this is a new thing for you. You're still newlyweds. And how did you meet... Uh, a sexy voice dispatcher in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and end up marrying her. How does that work? Well, um, it's kind of unromantic in a way. <laughs> um, I was I had seen her many many times. Um, she was working full time for the city and part time for uh, Myers, and um, I had seen her many times and talked to her a few times and. Um, one day I had my, my oldest niece, Brianna, with me, and uh, and we were talking about her, and she's like, uh, you know, you always talk about her. Maybe you should ask her out. And I was like, oh, I'm not just going to ask someone like that out. And uh, and she kept kind of uh, jawing at it, and I finally was like, okay. So I asked her out, and unbelievably she said yes. <laughs> And uh, we were a really good match. She's uh, one of those people that is uh, very, very caring. Um, she knew what she was in for, um, of course, before we got married. But um, it all happened pretty quick, and, and we've been a really good match. Now, how, why do you say that's not romantic? Because I totally, Jeff, now have in my head the entire script for a romantic comedy in, <laughs> in, in which uh, a fella is goaded by his young, precocious niece into a romance. Uh, and Brianna will be played by Dakota Fanning. Uh, you, or Yeah, your, your niece there. You will be played by, uh, I don't know, I'll have to get back to you on the casting of you and Jen's part. But I'm, I'm disappointed that you say that's not romantic. So what was your first date? You asked this chick out, where do you take her? Where did I take her? Where oh, are you going to eat actually? You better not let your wife listen to the podcast. You can't instantly remember that first date. She knows this stuff. She's got it down. I'm a little more fuzzy at the details. Uh, and did you date long before you got married? Was it? You mentioned you seemed to say it was a pretty quick whirlwind thing. It was thing. about eight months. That's pretty and soon. If I had been your yeah, buddy, I'd been like, maybe you should wait, Jeff. <laughs> yeah, but uh, we went out in, in, and during that time, I, I had a short hospitalization. And uh, that was kind of a 
really a, a test to see if uh, you know she could handle that kind of. Uh, it's a commitment, that's for sure, having to deal with someone with a terminal illness. So a person is either very much up for it, and uh, and they identify, and and there's a natural love there, or it's just not for some people. I have been married before, and uh, in my first wife, you could say, uh, this was not for her at all. <laughs> it, um, she had an affair while I was in the hospital and kind of went through a midlife crisis. So, um, yeah, some people are cut out for it and some people aren't. So you mentioned uh, nieces. It sounds to me like you are, and, and from what I know about the uh, frop bog, it sounds to me like you're around kids a fair amount. Oh, definitely. Um, I have, when I was growing up, I uh, every day during church, we'd be in our Catholic mass and I'd be like, oh, please, God, let me get married by 22 and have 3.7 children. <laughs> so I had my whole life planned out from a very young age. But as soon as I hit college and the cystic fibrosis kind of really took hold, um, it became apparent that my life was going to be drastically different than I thought growing up. And um, it, it just happens to be that I don't know if this is too uh personal, but um, 99% of men with CF are actually born sterile. So in a weird kind of way, I had a gamer friend over here last week, and we were talking about it, and he's like, hey, that's a pretty cool quirk of evolution, you know, they're stamping out <laughs> bad genes. <laughs> and we laughed about it. It really didn't bother me at all, because I'd actually thought of that, you know, as well. But when my sister started having kids, um, it was like my chance to be a very, very part-time parent where I could focus on them, try and turn them into little science computer nerds. Then when I got tired, I could give them back. And it's a it's a really great thing because um, uh, my, my nieces absolutely love spending time here. We have campouts in the living room. And pretty much it is board games and computer games the whole entire time. So uh, it, it's it's really, it's hard to express how much fun it is, especially as they've gotten older and you get to see the, like with The Sims and Spore, the creativity that children have is absolutely phenomenal. Mm -hmm. And to be a part of that and get to see it, and and work with these things together. Um, it, it's really hard to to have that kind of experience through your normal gaming sessions when you're, you know, just by yourself or with a bunch of adults. Now I, I hear you trying to segue, and I'm not ready to go there yet, so I'm not letting go. You, you're not. <laughs> uh, I wasn't. It all kind of does go together though, because uh, um, with when they come over, um, you know. Me growing up, I gamed from the age of six and was always trying to get my sisters involved. And so gaming was always a big part of our family. And we kind of wanted that to be the same experience uh, for their kids as well because that was such a great experience for us growing up. Mm -hmm. Now, how old are these nieces? Let's see. The oldest, she is 13. Uh, getting scary old into the teenage years, but she's still very grounded. And then uh, my next oldest niece, Lexi, she just turned nine. And there's Ashley, who is six. And then my youngest nephew is four. Now you realize... Yeah. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. 
Oh, that's okay. And uh, that gives a really great age span because uh, can they have more serious gaming with the older ones and then just total goof-off stuff with the younger ones. So, so you realize you're right up against facing one of them is about to be old enough to realize that you're a big dork. <laughs> yes. You cannot believe how scared I have been of that. <laughs> She's going to know like, that you're not cool, Jeff. <laughs> I know, I know. And every, you know, she hit that whole teenage thing and she started talking about um, oh, these singers, these, uh, you know, R&B guys. And I'm like, oh, yuck. Jonas Brothers this and Neo <laughs> that. And so I try to downplay that and tell them how dorky they are, make fun of them. <laughs> it's not going to work. It's not going to yeah, work. Yeah. It's a losing battle. Now, yeah. you, you've, uh, you mentioned the frop bog. Uh, mm-hmm. I want you to relate the story for, there might be some people who don't know what it is, but uh, explain to everyone what exactly a frop bog is and why it's called that. Okay. Well, I've had... This is going to go back a little ways. I, ho- I hope you don't mind here. Uh, when I was growing up, we had a, about a 10-gallon pond in the backyard that my dad put in. Very boring. You could grow one tiny plant in it. One day when they went on vacation, I put some goldfish in it. And uh, I was like, when I get my own place, I am totally having a pond, something big and nice. So as soon as I uh, moved in here, first thing I did was I built a small pond. And uh, and then, as usually happens with ponders, you, you're very unsatisfied with what you have. And so that was like version 1.0. And then the next year, it was version 2.0. I ripped it out and put a, a slightly bigger one in. And um, one thing that was always missing from it was the um, we had toads in the area, but really what I really wanted was frogs because frogs are, are a very – uh, integral part of a uh, water ecosystem. So it was many years before I felt confident enough to finally try and create some kind of environment where the frogs could uh, live year-round in our backyard. And we live in a very urban area. Um, our backyard is quite small, and there's nothing really natural around, so it's quite a challenge to make something like that for them. So um, the frat bog came about. Uh, I had been working on the pond, and the bog was very tired one night. I took my Ambien, <laughs> and uh, instead of crashing, I got on the computer and started talking about my frat bog. And a uh, natural uh, typo, which I'm unfortunately kind of known for and more than that post. <laughs> um, after that, everyone decided that a uh, frog bog sounded a whole lot more fun than, than a frog bog. And, uh, and it's been like that ever since. In fact, um, that, I think it was that summer. Yeah, I was working on the, the frog bog that whole entire summer. And uh, and after I had kind of made the goof, I kept the post going, and and I was uh, kind of updating it with different things, and and then my CF kind of got in the way and, and interrupted the whole fun I was having with with uh, creating this. And uh, the frog bog, as it is, is in a natural ecological filter for the pond. So we have uh, sarasa comets, butterfly koi, 
way more fish than we should for for a 3000 gallon pond and so the way to expand the number of fish that you have is to have a really good filtration system so you can buy something real expensive and pump it and maintain that or what i did was try to create something natural so the frat bog itself is actually just about two and a half feet deep it's filled with large rocks in the bottom and I have uh, piping that goes from the bottom of the pond, pumps water over to the bottom of the bog. The water percolates up. The rocks act as a mechanical filter for particulate matter. And then the plants in there uh, absorb all the excess nitrogen. You end up with very clean water going back into the pond. And in that whole ecosystem uh, was almost complete. The only problem was um, last year, when uh, we had a winter thaw, we're here in Michigan, so it's frozen six months out of the year. We had 12 frogs all huddled together in one corner of the frot bog. And so this year we wanted to create a winter bog that was specifically just so the frogs would have enough space in mud to burrow down into so they could survive the winter. So hopefully this spring, oops, sorry, go ahead. Is that kind of like hibernating? Is that what happens to frogs when it gets really cold? Yep, yep. Well, it depends on the type. Wood frogs um, actually can be just about frozen solid. Um, But green frogs are the type that we want to keep because um, they're very friendly. They won't eat the fish. Um, They won't eat the birds. Bullfrogs can actually um, eat enormous uh, critters compared for their size. And um, they're very friendly. We've been able to train them to eat right out of our hands, something that you would never expect that you could do with a little amphibian like that. In fact, this past year, we had a female that got so used to us feeding her. And, I mean, she was so fat. It was really hard (laughs) to describe how fat she got. But she, she, as soon as we would walk into the backyard, she would hop out of the frat bog and start hopping up towards us. <laughs> and our neighbor was over with her little kids, and they were uh, trying to feed the fish. And, and this female hopped right up under her foot, looked up her, at her like a dog begging for food. And, uh, and that's what you can do with them. It's surprising. Now, do these frogs... Do they have names? Like, I would think a frog like that, you would have to give her a name, right? Uh, let's see. You know, we've named all of our fish because uh, we're keeping kind of a genetic family tree of them, which I, I use also for some education for, for younger kids in the elementary school nearby. But we haven't named the frogs because it's kind of sad when you know they're all going to die. <laughs> How long do they live? When When is this... When is this lovely, fat female frog going to die? Well, she may, hopefully she'll make it through this winter. This is the first time that they can complete their whole entire life cycle in our backyard. Since they can, we buy them as tadpoles. You can't buy frogs outright un- unless you're buying um, grass frogs for a lab. So we get them as tadpoles, and then they grow. And they usually live to about three, three to four years, I think. So... Um, yeah, hopefully she's uh, in the bottom, two feet down, in about half a foot of mud, surviving, having a nice, comfy uh, winter nap. Well, now, you mentioned making it a, a winter bog. What, is, what does that involve? Well, um, 
we didn't really care how that looked so much. <laughs> so we did it as economically as possible. We had lots of help. We had uh, people from the neighborhood and family and friends. And so they came over and, and basically, uh, it's a big rectangle. Um, just imagine building a wood frame. It's about six feet wide and about 14 feet long. And, uh, um, dug it out to about three feet deep in the back, and we've got a little one-inch beach in the front for the frogs to sun themselves in when it's warm out. And uh, and then we <laughs> dug it all out, and then we filled it right back in with mud after we put a plastic liner in. So, yeah, it's kind of an ironic <laughs> work environment. So to hear you describe things like how the, the frog bog works and talking about the family tree for the, the fish... Uh, it sounds to me like you have very much this scientific or sort of engineering background. Is that correct? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, growing up, I, being involved with CF um, in fundraisers and always aware of the research, I had always wanted to grow up to be a scientist. And uh, um, so I went to the University of Michigan um, back in 88 and I was very, very fortunate to be there to at probably one of the most exciting times in, in genetic research. And uh, a year and a half after I was at U of M, <clears throat> I was invited to join the research lab, and we were um, narrowing down the location for the cystic fibrosis gene. And the lab, uh, Francis Collins' lab and uh, Dr. Lapchit Soy in the University of Toronto um, we were using a technique that just two years earlier people had said could never be done, which was basically uh, reverse engineering um, a genetic mutation. And what had happened before is like you always knew exactly what the defect was. So let's say with hemophilia, you know there's a defective uh, blood protein involved. So you can take that and you can attach... Um, the sequences that you need to kind of extrapolate and identify where that sits in the genome. Well, for cystic fibrosis, um, besides knowing that we had thick, sticky mucus, we nobody had any idea what the actual cellular defect was. So it involved um, basically narrowing everything down. It's like being at the back of the solar system and saying, oh, we need to get to this street on planet Earth. <laughs> But not knowing how to get there, where it is. So by process of elimination, you eliminate all the other DNA until there's only one spot left. And and that's how the gene was discovered. And uh, I was part of that team. And this was after you realized that, did, did you know even before then that you had cystic fibrosis? Is that something that you're always aware of? Yeah, well, I was identified when I was six years old. Okay. And back in the, the 70s, I, I had been sick my whole life, but we lived in a small town at that time and he had kind of an elderly doctor. And uh, and it was really one of those cases where he just didn't want to learn something new. Uh, in fact, my mom had told him about four different occasions that she thought I had cystic fibrosis based on some of the... Uh, public awareness ads that had been on TV at the time, those uh, Kiss Your Baby, Save Its Life campaign. And what that meant was <clears throat> when you kiss your baby goodnight, if there's a salty taste, uh, unusually salty taste from their sweat, then you should have your child checked for cystic fibrosis. 
And uh, the doctor basically just told my mom that she didn't feed me right and um, that I had bad allergies. And it wasn't until my youngest sister came along, she was about one and a half, and she nearly died of dehydration. And uh, and they took her to one of the larger hospitals, and, and he asked about her family history and instantly said, I think your two kids have cystic fibrosis. And uh, they didn't, of course, have genetic testing back then, but they did the uh, sweat chloride test and uh, and discovered that we had it. And then for, so for most of my conscious life, I've been very aware of it. Now, your sister, uh, how is she doing? So obviously this is the sister that has children, I presume? Yeah, I've got two sisters. Uh, one sister that's a year younger than me, uh, she has uh, the three youngest children. And um, she does not have CF. She's not a carrier either. And then my youngest sister, she has the oldest, my oldest niece, and uh, she's doing fairly well. Um, actually, I would say she's doing very, very well. She's actually a county sheriff. And, uh, <laughs> Your sister yeah. is a sheriff. Yep. <laughs> that is awesome. Yeah, so it's interesting how you can have um, two people in the family with very, very different uh, levels of the disease. But that's also because the CF uh, gene is involved in a lot of other mechanics. So when you inherit that, you inherit, you know, a whole combination of genes that are affected instead of just uh, one single thing. Now, I want to ask you, Jeff, but before we segue into the, the games that we want to talk about, it, just from talking to you just now, and, and certainly everybody who's seen your posts on the forum, uh, you're in a really difficult circumstance, but you have a remarkable capacity to, to really come across as, as upbeat and, and, and positive. And uh, what, where does that come from? Um, whoops. Did I, I think I just lost you. You did not lose me. I am here. <laughs> Can you hear me? Nope. Yep. Sorry about that. I knocked my volume control. <laughs> Bad timing there. Um, well, I'm not always as positive as I'd like to be. Um, uh, some of my posts can be um, a bit dramatic. <laughs> but uh, generally, um, I, I've seen... It's kind of hard to explain, but when you grow up and you have friends that die all the time as you get older, um, I've seen about 100 friends pass away from this disease all the way from when I was seven up until just last year. So um, there are different ways that people cope with it, and and I guess the way I want to be remembered is someone who was full of life despite what I have because that's what I want how I want people to remember me and uh, and I would have to say that this the cystic fibrosis community um, and the people that have this disease and maybe because they're affected from a young age but they're amazing people um, and I guess to be around that and to see that um, has influenced me through my entire uh, growing up, so to speak. And um, so, yeah, you can either be kind of sad and depressed about it or just look at it as, you know, I'm lucky to be 40. I'm a couple years beyond my life expectancy. 
um, I, c- I can still do the things that mean the most to me, which is uh, spending time in, in a nice little environment in my backyard, kind of like our little secret garden, if you're familiar with that sure. uh, book. And um, I get to spend time with family, and I get to game still. And that's a really that's a pretty awesome life, I think. Well, I, I just despite. I just want to say, I mean, this is going to sound really schmaltzy, but I don't know of any other way to put it. But it's really inspirational to just hear you talk and to, I mean, it comes through in your posts. And I just am so glad you're a part of the community. So thank you. Thanks. I, I hope I myself don't come across too schmaltzy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one of the things when we were talking about uh, what game you wanted to talk about, uh, at one point you sent me an email uh sort of talking about how difficult it can be to get enjoyment from video games when you're dealing with the circumstances that you're dealing with. Uh, And I presume that's something that comes and goes. I imagine that sometimes video games are an effective distraction, and at other times you probably get a sense that it's futile and you're you're wasting your time. Uh, Is that sort of a correct assessment of where you are with video gaming? Oh, absolutely. And I'll tell you... um when when I have the ability to be up in game, and especially like after coming home from from pancreatitis, I am on an enormous amount of pain medicine, um, probably enough to kill a horse. And um, one of the things that I personally I don't like to be on pain medicine very much. And when you go from having IV medication every two hours. Um, what I do is I cut it all off at once and I come home and just go to oral medication. And it is really, really hard going through that transition. But when I can sit down and play a game, um, I can, I have the pain. It's still very, very intense. But I can put it in the back of my mind. And the better games out there do an amazing job to teleport you through time. Mm-hmm. And, and that's really that's something I've sent uh, emails to several developers in the past to actually thank them for, because um, sometimes you know it's all about review scores and it's all about you know certain perceptions about a game and how it sells, but people don't always realize what kind of emotional and physical impact this kind of distraction, this kind of hobby can have. And for me, it's like being on pain medicine and having to take it every two hours or every four hours. When I can sit down at something and I look that I've gone a half hour or a couple hours past when I was due, and I still have all that pain, but I've been able to ignore it, it's it's really indescribable how helpful that is as far as quality of life, life is concerned. And uh, and so there have been many games throughout uh, growing up that have done that. Um, going back to Arena, um, the the very first Elder Scrolls game, um, I had I was in the hospital for seven weeks actually, double pneumonia and pancreatitis, and uh, my roommate brought my computer. <laughs> to the hospital we're talking a big you know 15 inch super heavy crt monitor you know the, the heavy steel case and everything and i couldn't believe it but the tray stand that you put your dinners on was able to to maintain all of that massive weight 
And uh, so in between dozing off from the pain meds and uh, coming back on, I played through like almost the entire game of Arena, which <laughs> is massive. <laughs> I had so much time, I wanted to see if you could actually travel um, literally from one town to the next. You always quick travel. So I spent three and a half hours one day just hitting the up arrow on the keyboard to get to the next town. You walked across that huge expanse, and and you could do it, I presume, right? Yeah. Yeah, you did. It was amazing. I mean, you know, all the the scenery and landscaping was uh, randomly generated as you went along. So for me, it was like quite a challenge. Well, what if you wanted to go from town to town? Can you really do it? And you could. That was pretty cool. And that was back before the days of things like Oblivion and Grand Theft Auto 3. I mean, yeah, that, that oh, was yeah. a huge, that was an enormous innovation back then, wasn't it? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Uh, we well, were... what, what are some other games that you recall being so effective in terms of d- taking your mind off of the, the pain? Well, let's see. The Ultima series, of course. Um, I, I still remember Ultima 6 being so fantastic because it, it used the ad lib card, which was it was great to move <laughs> beyond the tinny PC speaker. And uh, and I still vividly remember watching the intro uh, to the game, and, and it had a unique concept I hadn't seen in any kind of uh, cinematic where you're watching supposedly yourself playing on the computer, and you can look at this clock on, I think it was a VCR clock, and it actually used the computer time. <laughs> so <laughs> the introduction, I think I probably watched about 150 times just because it was, like, so amazing for the time. But also, um, SimCity was one of those uh, back in my college days that w- was very easy to lose a lot of time. Um and nowadays there there is a lot of uh, great stuff out there. Usually it's uh, the RPGs in The Sims that do the best job of really, um, you know, transporting you away from your limitations right now and letting you do whatever you want to do. And well, oh, let, go let's ahead. go let's go there because I want to talk. It's interesting to me that you mentioned The Sims Three, uh, mm-hmm. and, and that was the one that we sort of batted back and forth about. Uh, you know what's a good sort of starting point, and and one of the reasons that I'm curious to hear more about your take on The Sims 3. Uh, when I play something like like Oblivion or you know the Ultima games, these RPGs, they go to a place that is so completely unlike my own experience that mm-hmm. it really removes me from wherever I am. I mean, it's 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 so effective at transporting me away from my own life and making me not have to think about it as almost yeah. an anesthetic in a way. Uh, However, there's something very poignant about playing The Sims and that any time I'm playing it, it can relate very intensely at times to my own life. Uh, The Sims is about things like love and family and and friends and and even mortality recently. Yeah. Uh, And does that... so is that something that you feel sometimes? Isn't there a, isn't there a sort of a poignance to playing The Sims that makes it different from other RPGs for you, as as I think there is for a lot of people? Oh, absolutely. In fact, um, uh, The Sims 2 and the ri- original Sims had a much more campy, uh, fun feel. Um, the Sims 3, with the whole mortality thing, it draws in uh, an element that... 
you have to make a real hard conscious decision about do you want to actually see people age in the next cycle or not. And um, so ironically, in the previous Sims, um, when I'd play like with my nieces, I mean, technically it's advanced Barbie dolls, so <laughs> it's a good match for us. And um, so we always would make our own family and then kind of make all kinds of other uh, goofy people and have them interact. This one, I actually, um, we didn't create our family at all because it hit way too close to home. It's like I can't watch hospital stuff. I I spend too much time there, and we've had a lot of scary moments there. And and so even, you know, some of the more... uh, lighter hospital shows like Scrubs or even House at some points, I, I can't watch it because in the end it just brings too much reality into it. And, and Sims 3 really did kind of hit that nerve. But on the other hand, it, it really hits a spot that I love, and that's genetics and science, ah, something sure. that I'd always wanted to have. <laughs> and um, like for in our pond, we have five generations of fish in there. And because all of our fish are so varied, we can we can literally make a family tree. And so from a genetic standpoint and seeing the inherited traits and all that type of good stuff, it's really, really fascinating there, and it's just as fascinating in The Sims 3. Absolutely love it. And, of course, um, I actually picked up a mod so that I could expand people beyond their their outer fat and inner thin limits, you know, to kind of go with the absolute max and the min and minimum and the different kinds of characteristics just to see what you're going to get in the end. So those were those screenshots you sent me of like crazy fat, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yep. And and that's one of those things where it's really hard to convey just how much creativity that you can put in a game. Now, each of those characters, we've got one that looks like, uh, the guy that turned the kid that turns blue in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, the original. Augustus Gloop, I believe. Yes, yeah. And so uh, being able to mix all of that is is absolute fantastic fun. And and we just kind of go to absolute extremes. You're going to have a red giant fat devil guy, and you're <laughs> going to mix him with a skinny gray alien woman and see how you know everything's going to come out in the end and in a way it's nice how they did it because it's not just a 50 50 mix there's kind of uh there's some variation there if it was just a 50 50 mix it'd be kind of boring in a way because you could pretty much guess the skin color the eye color and you know the average that everything's going to be now, when you're doing this, Jeff, are you just doing this all in the character creator, or are you having to force your skinny red devil person and your fat blue person to fall in love and, and, and get married and have and make woohoo? Like, are you doing it that way? Yeah. In the character we, we could take the shortcut route, because the, they do give you the option to just, um, you know, mate them and, and create a basic family a genetic lineage right off the bat, but... It's more fun and challenging to go through the whole entire living part, but generally we we stop it at the uh, the elder age because unless it's someone we really don't like, it's it's it is hard to watch them die. <laughs> well, do you know? I don't know if you 
gone through the whole process, but they do a really weird thing, which I don't quite know what to make of, where after somebody dies, you can still live with their ghost and their ghost. Yeah, and it's kind of an odd way. It's this odd concession to, you know what, we're going to have death, but we're going to still provide plenty of gameplay afterwards if you don't want death to be the end. Yeah. And it's funny because we, we only wanted death to happen one time, like specifically when when me and my oldest niece were playing. Um, we have one relative. I don't know if you've ever seen uh, Metalocalypse on Adult Swim. I have not. I know what it is, but I have not. Okay. <clears throat> well, one of the band members, his name is Toki Wartooth. And his parents, I think they're from Norway, and they're, like, extremely religious, and they wear black, and they're gaunt, and, and is you know, it's just all about kind of uh, death, kind of a medieval type of thing from the Dark Ages. Well, we have a relative that is that personification. <laughs> and let's just say she is um, not very fun to be around. <laughs> It does sound yeah. like she would make a pretty cool ghost, though. Yeah, that's what my niece thought. <laughs> and so um, we had, she's also, you know, one of these people that, um, very, very heavy smoker. We're talking like four packs a day. And she's just like the visage of death <laughs> and uh, complains about her lungs all the time. So Brianna thought it would be fun to make her whole family. And then she got annoyed with her and it's like, you know, she's got the worst health and doesn't do anything. Why isn't she died yet? So, of course, the easiest way to do that is to put someone in a little box with no nutrition. Oh, that's so sadistic. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's yeah. such a temptation in The Sims. I mean, you can't yep. use that whole, you know, you want to torture the little... It's it's like when you're a kid and you burn your plastic models. You know, there's that yep. whole thing there. Yeah. Yep. Well, the funny thing is about that is... So she spent all this time speeding it up and trying to get her to die. And every time she died, death would come back, come in and, and uh, raise her back to life. What? I didn't know death could do that. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know if it's a bug or if they did that on purpose with that build of the game. You know, if they know that you're trying to get rid of someone. But <laughs> 12 attempts in a row, and, uh, and we gave up. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So she's still around then, this this gaunt, uh, scary ant character. You didn't manage to kill her. <laughs> she's still around in her little box. <laughs> now, so by the way, this makes me understand completely, Jeff, why you would be into Spore. Because like, I, I come to Sims 3, I, I, a lot of why I enjoy it is the gameplay perspective and the challenges. Mm -hmm. And I, I come to it almost as a strategy gamer. And I came mm -hmm. to, to Spore from a similar perspective and was a bit disappointed in it. But I can completely understand why you must love the the spore spore as an outlet for creativity. That oh, absolutely. Yeah, the the, the game uh, the gameplay itself is um, as much as I I love the game and, and the people at Maxis. But um, you know, beyond the cell stage, it was it was pretty lacking. And some of the things that I was really hoping to see in the game was like a Sim Earth type of thing um, where you've got kind of evolution and, and the mixing of microbes and, and kind of mixing and matching odd things. So really you kind of have that all in the beginning with the creature creator. And um, it is um, every single time I have the kids over, that's one thing that we always do because there's always something new that you can come up with, create, 
um, they'll go home and, you know, the next time they come, they're going to be like, okay, I'm going to do this, 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 and this with my next creatures. And uh, it never ceases to amaze me, the, the things that they can come up with. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I'm pretty creative too, but I think, you know, kids just have this uh, 10th dimension that, that you kind of can't tap into once you hit a certain age. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Uh, and are you still uh, much of an RPG player? Oh, absolutely. Yep. Um, what see. have you liked lately? Uh, did you play Dragon Age? I have it, but had not played it. I have this thing where when games get released, I like to let them simmer for a while. <laughs> good, Morrowind, Oblivion. Um, you know, there's always going to be extra content, especially that modders make, that um, can really take the game to another level. So I've kind of gotten into this bad habit of waiting six months, and, and sometimes that can draw into two years, <laughs> three years, because I still haven't actually played Oblivion. You know, you, you say that's a bad habit, Jeff, but that's absolutely the right thing to do, is because by then patches have come out, and there's probably a gold edition that has any downloadable content, and you're, you're absolutely doing it the right way. I, I wish, I'm sure a lot of us in quarter three wish we could do it the same way as well. Uh, yeah, um, so RPG-wise, probably the thing I've played the most is World of Warcraft. Oh, good lord, you're one of those. Oh, Jeff. Actually, this is, this is, it's not the typical World of Warcraft thing. My mom is 65, I think. I don't know. She's getting up there at any rate. And uh, um, her and my uncle were playing. And they (laughs) are the ones that got me into the game. Your 65-year-old mother got you into World of Warcraft. Yes. (laughs) Although she'll shoot me if I got her age wrong. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but yeah, and it is it is absolutely a ton of fun. Um, now, wait, were you playing with her? Wait, 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 hold yes. on, hold on, back up. So wait, she obviously she just like goofs around in solos, right? Like she's not in a guild or anything like that. Yeah. Well, when I joined the game to join with them, yes, we were in a guild, and we pretty much did all of our adventuring together, hundreds of hours. Holy, and that's, that's... it was awesome. Now, well, here's another question. How on earth did, because you and I are the same age, my mother's yeah. is your mother, it sounds like. I could not imagine. I have to explain to my mother how the mouse works. How on earth does your mother get into World of Warcraft? <laughs> well, um, I can't remember the first game that I got her into. I actually think it was Heroes of Might and Magic. <laughs> And I was playing that. I was at home playing that one day, and she saw it. And and we grew up with uh, Lord of the Rings, reading the Tolkien books, uh, reading the Shannara series from Terry Brooks. Um, And so we really share a lot of the same interests. We love the same type of story stuff. So the elves and the dwarves and all that kind of stuff really was interesting to her. And, uh, And she totally got hooked after, I think it was Heroes of Might and Magic, like the first or second one. Okay. And, I mean, she played that from beginning to end. I mean, every single little detail of it. Now, Heroes of Might and Magic, the the, the strategy game thing, where you're yep. the heroes and the killer stacks with the armies, and your mother, yep. through a, a love of fantasy, started playing Heroes of Might and Magic. Yep. Wow. And and Might and Magic, like Might and Magic 6, Might and Magic 7. Whereas I stopped after 7, she kept going to Might and Magic 8. 
Yeah, she absolutely enjoys it very much. And I gotta say, that's that's a beautiful thing, Jeff. I I, just, <laughs> I remember when Unreal first came out, uh, and I don't know how much of a shooter guy you are, but when Unreal first came out, it was state of the art graphics, and it opens with uh, you're in a crashed uh, prison ship, and you have to work your way through this dark prison ship, and I think there's sparks everywhere, and it's it's no great shakes. Uh, you know, it looks cool and dark and very doomish, but at one point. You break out of the prison ship, and there's a spectacular vista of an alien world with a waterfall. And, and when Unreal first came out, that was, that was just state-of-the-art. It was beautiful. Mm-hmm. And my mother was visiting me, and I was determined to show her how cool video games could be by just having her play the first part of Unreal so that she would get through the prison ship and come out on this lovely alien vista. And mm-hmm. I failed miserably because my mother could not and I think this is hard for many people who aren't used to it, she couldn't master mouse look and using WASD, just the whole idea of maneuvering a first-person shooter, and she mm-hmm. never even got out of the prison ship, so it, it never took. <laughs> so I just think it's lovely that, that you had this out to get your mother in, into video games when I failed miserably just because it's hard to uh, <laughs> for someone to learn mouse look and WASD. The person... The person has to have the aptitude for it, though. We have tried really, really hard to get my dad interested in it. And for him, it's just, I don't understand. I don't understand why you want to do that. It's a big waste of time. (laughs) And, you know, he enjoys TV and um, model railroad stuff. and, And so it's stuff that I can't quite identify with as my primary hobby. Um, but yeah, um, well, now, I was very fortunate. I sat my mom down and said, Hey, try this. And she'd been looking over my shoulder and, and it just clicked. Don't you think your dad would dig things though? If he's into model railroads, like, like Sim City or, uh, not even, not even necessarily the railroad tycoon stuff, but, but city builders, would that not appeal to him? Well, it takes too much time to figure it out. I guess, yeah, the learning curve. It's, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So, although lately he surprised me, but it could be because, like, every single night, uh, my mom, the way she enjoys her time, it's like four or five hours on World of Warcraft. And um, my dad uh, does his thing in the living room. So, you know, and, and she has to explain it to some people because they don't understand it. They think, <laughs> you're, you know, why are you ignoring your husband or something? And she's like, well, it's not that at all. You know, I just don't enjoy TV. If I'm going to use my leisure time, that's what I want to play on the computer with my leisure time. And my dad inadvertently fosters that habit a little bit, too. You know, he could try and break things away, but, you know, he knows what she loves. And and so for Christmas, he got her King's Bounty. And so that's the first thing that's actually shaken her off of of the World of Warcraft thing. And she's been like, every night when, when they're settling in, it's uh, I can see her on the Steam King's Bounty. It's pretty cool. Well, I just want to say, Jeff, I I think I speak on behalf of all quarter to three when I say your mom's pretty cool. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> she is. So now did you get over this? Uh, so you were just playing World of Warcraft because your mom was playing. Are you still into MMOs and World of Warcraft? I, I still have my account, but... Um, when spring came along, um, I knew that w- we really, really wanted to get the winter bog done. And I love working on the stuff, but it's extremely painful. Um, <laughs> I really kill my body when I'm out there doing that stuff. And, and 
after a day of trying to do stuff out there, I'll have uh, anywhere from one to three days where I'll be stuck in bed and I can't even really sit up and and be at my computer um, or on the Xbox. And so it's it, it, at that point, I had told my mom, I was like, I'm not going to be able to keep up for a while. Is that's pretty pretty much going to encompass everything I'm doing. And, and my fear was that we wouldn't get it done before you know before it got cold and uh unfortunately we did but then after it was getting to be about time where i could kind of get back into a um i got sick and so and then with uh everything going on it's just been kind of you know world of warcraft is the ultimate time sink and uh and it's hard to keep up and and sometimes it almost feels uh, like a job a little bit because even my mom's like, okay, I got to do my dailies in World of Warcraft so I can keep my money up, you know. My uncle's playing too, so there's uh, you know they're they're wanting to keep pace with each other. So oh, there's God, always yeah. that yeah, extra if you've got two incentive. people, yeah, that that whole trying to keep up with someone who has a different playing habit or schedule than you. That's just yes. one of, that's an endemic problem with MMOs is you can't. Yeah. There's just no way around that. You just get left behind. Uh, yeah, it's tough. It, 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 for me, it's like all or nothing. Yeah. And you just can't kind of go into it half-hearted because then you're just, you know, it's like keeping up with the Jones and you're seeing other people have stuff and, and you just always want to get to that, to the next level. And in a way, that's why I enjoy a lot of the um, – the single player stuff when I've got short batches of time right. uh, because there's there's no extra um, pressure mm-hmm. uh, to keep things going and you know you can just quit and not have to worry about anything and you know when you load back up like in The Sims or, or Tropical Three and King's Bounty you know you're going to be right where you left off exactly nothing has run away from you <laughs> with uh, yep. yeah yeah. Uh, and I notice that with a lot of gamers, it's like they're either into MMWorks and they keep up with it, or it's just strictly forbidden. Right. Well, yeah. they'll try it, but you know, it's like beyond that, it's like not for them. It's it's a weird, demanding genre, and it's it's changed the shape of gaming in uh, in I think a way that's not necessarily better. I, uh, I have serious yeah. reservations about what it's done to the way we look at games and the way games are consumed. Uh, and I love some MMOs, but just overall, I have to say this, Jeff. Overall, I wish they weren't around. Yeah, um, Eve Online is a perfect example of that. Where it, I've always wanted to have that whole. I mean, I love the privateers uh, from Origin Systems um, and the Wing Commander games. You know those space operas. Sure. Uh, and so when Eve Online came out, I was hoping that's what it would be. Of course, it kind of is in a way, but it's a whole other monster in and of itself. And uh, it's a whole entire another life that you have to live, you have to keep up with. And um, it's really not all that enjoyable unless you're just going to, that's the only thing you're going to do. Right. I mean, I love going out into the planets like my... My uh, adopted moon is Enceladus, and that's on my screen here. And and um, so just being able to go to different planets, moons, and experience the infinity of space is cool. But I would rather have that in a single player environment. Yeah, exactly. Where you know you don't have such immense competition. 
Um, and, and, if, and because of MMORGs, I think we're not seeing that kind of thing like we used to. Right. One of the things that I'm real curious, and I know this is something that you'll come to in maybe a year or two with the, with the way that you work, but uh, there's, uh, Star Trek Online is due out, uh, I think, in a few months, and they have some idea, and I only know a little bit about it, where you can play in, you can you can basically do what seems like single-player exploration, where you're mm-hmm. running around, you're exploring different planets, you can discover them and discover new species, but it sounds like a lot of what MMOs are missing and a lot of what can be really cool about space games, this idea of I'm going off in this this universe and I'm I'm blazing new trails. In Eve, I always get the sense that everything's already paved over and claimed and there are these pre mm-hmm. wars and there are no new frontiers. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm really curious to see how that works in Star Trek Online, where where they create a sub game around exploration and new discoveries. You know, one of my favorite games um, from many years ago, um, I never actually completed any of the King's Quest or Space Quest games, but there was a Star Trek 25th Anniversary Edition. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with that, but you basically did away missions. Um, they're kind of story-based, but it was one of those that surprised me with just how much I enjoyed it because... I think at that point, I wasn't a total Trek nerd at that point, and I didn't think that it would really speak to me in any way, but after that, I started watching this. It's funny, because sometimes games get you into a series, and that's one of them that got me into enjoying Star Trek. Just like I I never liked NASCAR racing until I uh, played Papyrus (laughs) of Sim, and then I started to actually enjoy the, the real event. I'm I'm the same way, and you're, I I hope you're suitably disappointed in me because this is a terrible thing to admit. But I am the same way, Jeff, with Lord of the Rings. I never really got into the Hobbit books and stuff, and and even the movies. I saw the movies, I was like, yeah, whatever. It, it was video games. It was the freaking real time strategy game, and then later Lord of the Rings Online, the MMO, that really got me hooked into this stuff. Uh, yeah, it's funny. I can't imagine it being backwards for that. I know, I know. <laughs> cause, game for that that IP. Yeah, because it's it's so it's such a rich. I mean, now that I've gone back and read the books, I'm like, well, yeah, of course, this stuff is awesome. Why didn't I see that before? Uh, but sometimes it just takes that that hook that we have in us as video gamers to really pull us into something. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> so yeah, what, I, I don't think the entertainment like a movie and TV kind of gives um, games enough credit for the audience that they can pull into them. Well, Although I guess with some of the online advertising, you know, that's, uh, they're in a way paying due respect for something that's been happening for a long time. Well, then also it's a matter of as, as guys like you and me who grew up with gaming, you know, as, as we get old enough to, to where our generation is controlling the way that entertainment is created and presented, like it's an exciting time to see the perception of video gaming changing and how mm-hmm. it's working its way into culture and in, in, in completely new ways, you know, things we've mm-hmm. seen before. I just love that. And and it's also exciting to see video gaming itself maturing and uh, the way that they're they're telling new stories and bringing us to new places. Uh, I, I just, I love where it is, and I'm, I feel very fortunate to get to, to write about and play so many video games at, at this sort of threshold for it as a form of entertainment. Oh, absolutely. And the nice thing, you know, there's always a discussion about which console is stronger and, and how is PC gaming doing and everything. 
but you know with steam and impulse um it's really especially when they have these flash sales i mean i think they're opening up pc gaming to an immensely larger group of people than may have you know that don't have the money to spend sixty dollars on each title that comes out right and that, that's one of the things, too, by the way, Jeff, that makes me hate World of Warcraft. I mean, you know, it's a oh, great yeah. game, and I love what they're doing, but I can't help but think all those people, like your mom, playing World <clears> of Warcraft, <throat> are not discovering other cool forms of video game entertainment. Uh, oh, that's absolutely true. I mean, she, uh, before World of Warcraft, she would she would get a game, and, and she would just, like, from beginning to end, one of the most completionist people you could ever know. <laughs> and so, like, every every four or six months, it would be a new game, and uh, depending on how much time she'd have, but she'd go through it, like, the Neverwinter Nights series. Um, there are so many of these RPGs that she did, and, yeah, as soon as World of Warcraft came along, that has been it until King's Bounty. Well, good but for your King's dad. Bounty for getting was a, yeah, why? Well, he, he said, find a game she might like. <laughs> so, well, King's Bounty is kind of like World of Warcraft in a Heroes of Might Magic world. Yeah. So it was very, very easy for her to reassimilate into. Right, it's got the whole leveling thing, and it's yep. got, you've got achievements, I believe. Yeah. That in, yeah. Very, very quest based gaming. Now, do you play online much or at all with uh, folks from quarter to three? Um, there's a couple guys that we usually uh, play um, every Wednesday night, although um, things have been really crazy the last couple of months, so I haven't been able to do that. But, um, yeah, so there's, like, a West Michigan group, and um, then there's the, the Madden League, which has just been absolutely amazing. Now, that's, uh, uh, that's, that's hockey, right? Football. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> uh, I was being facetious. I, I, I don't really follow sports stuff, but I know that there, there's a, there's a. I constantly see some goofy football thread being bumped to the top of the the games forum. So I know that's yep. an active thing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and it, that's one of the things that's really cool about quarter to three is you may see all these different personalities from people, but when you get online and you're talking to them, yes, very down to earth, very very nice, and um. It's so polar opposite of what you generally hear in the console multi, you know, multiplayer gaming arena, um, where it's mostly elite kids and people yep. swearing all the time, and uh, and the the people at quarter to three, I just can't express how awesome they are. Um, and that goes for the people that originally got me involved in in console gaming as well because um i have been like a diehard pc gamer my whole entire life up until up until um this past year oh wait when you got all the when when we all chipped in and got you stuff you weren't like that was your introduction to console gaming i hit that was my third introduction <laughs> when we were kids we had in television um and Ironically, I've got the Intellivision um, emulator thing that you can buy from the Xbox Live points <laughs> that we can play online. In fact, for my 40th birthday, um, a couple of the guys from Quarter to Three were over here, 
And so we were running inside and outside. I was trying to meet with everyone. And like an hour later, I go in and all the computer guys are playing in television on Xbox 360. Oh my God. You know, little bleeps and bloops and lines. And, you know, they couldn't figure out what they were doing or what the game was supposed to be about. And, uh, yeah, and so that goes back to probably the mid to early 80s. But um, we only had that for about a year because those controllers <laughs> broke very ah, easily. Right. And then in college, for about six months, I had a Sega Genesis in one game, uh, NHL hockey. <laughs> and and so that doesn't really make me a very console, console-ish gamer. And, and the one thing I had always enjoyed... Um, I really like playing that one hockey game with my roommate. That was just an absolute load of fun. You know, and of course, Electronic Arts had supported the PC for, for a long time. And then several years ago, we were kind of abandoned. Oh, and, right, right. Yeah, and I've been talking to to some of the guys about how much I missed being able to play football and hockey and stuff like that. And for me, it was it wasn't even so much just the action, but I loved statistics. I love being like the front page sports, football and baseball games. I just loved them because you could print out reams and reams of data. I'm kind of an environmentalist, but I wasn't very good to trees. (laughs) So you can't do that on a PC. Is that correct? This Madden game that you guys are playing, there's no PC version of that. Is that right? uh, There's an older PC version, but yeah, yeah basically said it's really not worth our effort to to update that stuff and keep it current gen like they do with the Xbox uh, 360 and the PS3. And uh, uh, it was something I really missed. Um, and, and that was kind of the impetus when, when I was in the hospital. Um, and it was the whole, you know, it was right in the middle of making the frat bug. And, and my wife had gone on to say, you know, he's not going to be on for a while, and and he's, you know, just wanted to not leave you out, so he just disappeared, and uh, um, it, it was an amazing experience. Um, I'm sitting in the hospital, my wife calls up, and and she's like, um, hey, uh, have you taken a shower yet today? And I'm like, <laughs> no. She's like, well, maybe you should get cleaned up, and I'm like, No. <laughs> Did you wonder it, why she was it, asking that? Like, didn't that seem a little, like a little it, odd it, thing to say? It didn't even register. Okay. She's like, well, will you at least, you know, brush your teeth? <laughs> I was like, no, my teeth, like, fuzzy from five days of plaque. <laughs> Sorry to gross you out. But, you know, when you're in for pancreatitis and you're sick like that, you just, um, it, it's really... Um, you just kind of want to lay there and not move as much as possible. And and uh, Andrew from the forum walked in like an hour later with these bags, and I'm like... Now, had you met him before? Did you guys know each other already? Um, briefly, yeah. And uh, he had... I think he'd come to visit me earlier in the hospital stay, um, and he'd come with his wife, yep. And uh, we had a really, really nice visit, and so uh, it, it, I was kind of out of it in a way, so it didn't register. I might have, like, you know, someone besides family coming to visit, but also I was feeling pretty horrible. And uh, and so he comes in with these bags, and he's like, uh, I got a surprise for you. And 
my mind just totally can't even focus or register on why he's here with bags. (laughs) I thought maybe at first he was going to sneak me some food because I don't get fed for weeks. And so like the first five days I'm in the hospital with pancreatitis, I'm just taking like pages of things I want to cook when I get home. (laughs) And so probably I'm sure when we were talking, all I talked about was food that first time. And uh, and he pulls out an Xbox 360, and then he puts it on the bed, and my mouth just absolutely drops. And, and my first thought is, oh, my God, I hope I don't stink. <laughs> you should have listened to your I'm wife. There, I'm all greasy and nasty. Well, the, and, the pictures of you, Jeff, you look so dazed. Like, it's, <laughs> it's, it's this lovely thing. Like, I can't tell if you're dazed because you're in the hospital or because you've had all this loot dropped on you, but uh, it is they're wonderful a, pictures. It is a very good uh, 50-50 between the two of them. (laughs) You know, it was like I just really, I I knew it was going on, but it really didn't register. I don't think it even registered until like the next night, just how incredible it was. But yeah, he unloads the game, puts it on the bed, and then pulls out a controller, and then pulls out a game, and then pulls out... Um, the headset and then the little keypad and another game and the nurses are going by and they're just giggling out there and and I know all the nurses really well because I spent so much time there and uh, and it was it was amazing and Andrew it was great he had the biggest grin on his face you know and, and it they had done such a good job to keep me from having any idea that Andrew was coming to visit or that anything was coming. My wife, she was just absolutely thrilled. And, of course, one of the games that he pulled out was Madden, and uh, that was very, very exciting because um, I hadn't played that game in years. And and though, you know, in a lot of reviews it's been panned, um, they've come a long way, especially in the last two years, with making it more simish, which is the the nerd part of me really likes the like I mentioned the stats and being able to keep track of all that kind of uh good stuff and yeah so basically he unloads all this stuff and uh and all I can think of oh my goodness I want to go home right now so I can hook this <laughs> up and start playing and then I'm thinking whoa I wonder if I can hook it up to the hospital TV <laughs> And we talked a little bit more, and it was like, well, probably should keep it in the box, especially in your current state of mind, (laughs) until you get home. You know, it just now occurred to me, in a way, how cruel that must have been to show you all these cool toys and then say, ah, but you can't play with them yet. (laughs) You know, um, I got out about a week and a half too early (laughs) before I was really (laughs) healed. And I couldn't, I, I was so sick when I got home, actually, I couldn't hook it up and really do anything with it, but it was an incredibly awesome motivator to get healthy, get home and you know, to try and continue on all the things I was doing and since then, the list of friends that I've had and things I've gotten to do and participate in online has been really, really cool it's really hard to describe PC gaming and doing multiplayer stuff there is really a whole different experience compared to doing it on like a console with your friends it seems like it should be the same, but it, it's different. No, I I totally agree. Yeah. Well, that's I mean, there, you know, there are a few games that that successfully straddle both console and PC gaming, but they they satisfy very different kinds of needs for the most. Mm-hmm. 
yeah. Yep, the console just you know pop it in and load it up and get going. Whereas uh, PC is a lot more. Uh, you have to put a lot of thought into it. Right. it. Just like all the games I haven't really played like I should, um, just getting started is like a treasure trove of trying to decide everything I want to put into it. And, and, and I'm a modder at heart as well. So it's not just the gaming on the PC, but it's also how can I make it the way I want it to be. You know, it's funny, Jeff, when you say that, I, it it occurs to me, that in a way the frop bog is a backyard mod. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It really is. Um, and so, in fact, it kind of mirrors my modding um, technique, which is very poorly because <laughs> I won't learn what I'm doing. I kind of learn as I go. And uh, so there's a lot of mistakes and it's like rebooting, you know, and <laughs> trying to find that bug and what you're working on and, and going on from there. And, uh, well, now, yeah. But before I ask you the random question of the week, which I'm about to dump just a crazy random question into your lap, uh, okay. tell me what things, uh, where do you stand right now in terms of how much you're enjoying gaming and how effective it is as a sort of a distraction from difficult times for you? Like, are you, are you digging gaming lately? After my wife got the layoff notice, um, we were so shocked and stunned because, me being on disability, obviously she's the breadwinner and, and it's her health insurance. Um, so healthcare is, of course, <laughs> a very, very important issue. And so we were scrambling to like create a whole entire resume and cover letter and trying to find where she might fit in the job market. So that was one instance where I wanted to game, but I didn't feel like it was a good use of my time. And... Um, and then after things started to settle down a bit, um, I was able to get back into it. And it is absolutely tremendous. Um, it, there are some games that just um, take you away. And I know you, the name of the form quarter to three is because it's like you start playing a game and all of a sudden you look up and it, it's halfway through the night. And it's still a pretty awesome thing that after all these years, there are games out there that do that to me, even when we have a crisis, you know, with our our home life and and we've had lots of medical stuff. Um, and being able to sit down and put all of that away and and kind of catch a breather, it, it's uh, um, I think I used the word before invaluable, but it really is. And uh, so it kind of goes in like a sine wave, <laughs> up and down and up and down. And um, just after we got over the initial shock, it's it's getting to that point again. And, of course, with Christmas break, I've got my nieces and nephew coming over. And so we're spending time in the Sims 3 and Spore. And, uh, and that's also a really good motivator to, uh, learn more so that each time they come over, there's something new that they get to experience and that we get to do in there. Well, what you're about to do, you're about to enter, you're about to get a chance to win a free game. And unfortunately, I don't know which one it is. I have to go. <laughs> okay. But, uh, I'm going to ask you a random question and that automatically qualifies you to go in the drawing for this free game. So cool. are you ready for this random question? Yep. There are no wrong answers. Well, there is a wrong answer. I'll explain it to you afterwards. Uh, okay. 
The question is, how do you take your martini? Kool-Aid? <laughs> it's, it's I, I can't drink alcohol, so I guess you terrible can say question Kool-Aid to ask you, I guess. Ambien. <laughs> Kool-Aid and Ambien is probably a close second, but it, at the very least, Jeff, to your credit, you did not try to make a, a martini out of vodka, which is abomination against... <laughs> Against nature, against God, against all of creation. So, so here's the deal. Uh, okay. That's that's a fine answer. It is wrong, however. But as far as wrong answers go, that that was a good one. Kool Aid and Ambien. Uh, what other people listening have to do is they have to post in the everything else forum. There's going to be the question: How do you take your martini? If you want to qualify, if you want your name to go into the drawing for a free game along with Jeff, you have to post in that thread a an impassioned argument that it's not a martini unless it's got gin. Uh, so uh, this is my way to sort of load the argument. Uh, okay. Anybody who's in there with some little stuff about a martini is a, some frou-frou drink or, or something that has vodka, that's wrong. They don't go into the drawing. If you post in there and you argue passionately that there has to be gin in it to make it a martini, then you go into the drawing. So. See, and I missed that whole alcohol fun stage of life. <laughs> you know what, though, Jeff? I don't. At our age, I don't. I don't drink that much, and I really don't enjoy drinking. I, I don't think you're missing out on much when you're in your twenties. Drinking is like a lot of fun and whatever, but I, I think you outgrow it, and your your body just gets to the point where it realizes, you know, it's called intoxicated for a reason. This is toxic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, well, I, I, I don't do even drink. I haven't had a martini in gosh forever, and I. But when I used to drink, I enjoyed them, but I don't feel like I'm missing much anymore. My family is very Irish, so um, <laughs> Christmas and stuff like that, they don't get wasted. But, um, you know, it's all the Kahlua and cream, those kinds of things. So it certainly uh, they're always talking about, and they got the little things out. And uh, I started having pancreatitis at uh, 19 when I had my first major bout. So right away the doctors were like, uh, you better never drink. if you." Wow, wanna. so your whole life you never got to do that whole thing. You just missed out right? on all that. Yep. Ah, okay. Well, I, again, I maintain you didn't miss much. I mean, <laughs> I, think, I think you got the better deal. Uh, on the positive side, I always said I'm saving a lot of money. <laughs> that's true. Oh, my gosh, that's so true. And smoking, too. I presume you don't smoke. The no. cost of smoking is just astronomical. You know, cigarettes now are like $6 <clears throat> a pack. That's just insane. Uh, yeah. Good for you. That's, yep. that's more money you can spend on, uh, on video games. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> games and food. <laughs> well, uh, Jeff, thank you so much for hanging out with me today. That was really awesome. And uh, by the way, I just in talking to you, it sounds like you're a really lucky guy because you've got some awesome women in your life. Talking about your nieces, your wife, <clears throat> your mother. I just got this sense that wow, you've got you've got really cool women hanging around you. So Yep. And and that's part of the reason uh I like The Sims, I think, because my sisters made me play Barbie dolls so much <laughs> when I was little. Now, now, Jeff, think of it as a strategy game and not virtual dolls, because that's what I do. <laughs> yeah, well, I got back at them because I got them to play Axis and Allies and Panzer Leader. Very nice. Very yeah. Nice. So, all right, well, Jeff, I will be seeing you around on the forum, and uh, thank you so much for talking to me today. Thank you, Tom. This was an absolute dream. Thanks. Take care, Jeff. Take care. Take care.